0: I've got this. I'm good. Are we on? We're good. Bless you, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I have a gizmo here, which I'm going to attempt to operate this morning. It's really good uh, to be with you. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, you are so blessed to be sitting next to me. (laughs) Encourage them. Let's encourage one another. The house of God is about encouragement. I know, yeah, never mind. Yeah, if if you're a lonely Larry and you have nobody next to you, um, then uh, the Holy Spirit's sitting next to you, so you'll be all right, there's no problem. Hey, I was, uh, it's, it's great, I come from uh, Woodford, ordinary Woodford, and as I was driving in this morning, I realised for the first time, you, you're a royal town, aren't you? And as I drove in, it went royal Tunbridge Wells, and I thought, oh, I'm honored, I'm privileged, I'm I'm gonna be amongst royalty this morning. Um and my mind was just was just drawn to to Peter. We are a royal priesthood, and you're not just part of a royal borough, you're not just part of a royal town, but you this morning are part of a royal priesthood, and God has anointed you and anointed us together to be servants in his kingdom. And um as as was, was speaking about Matt Summerfield, I would really encourage you guys, I've heard him uh, a few times, just such an inspirational guy, uh, and, and if if you're, not, if you're not booked in to go to that event next week or whenever it is, make sure that you, you do, do that, because we are called to be disciples who make disciples. Uh, Ushur, my, my wife's not with me this morning, I'm on my own, uh, she's actually speaking uh, at Woodford this morning, it just happened to, to work out that way. Um, so she's not with me this morning, so I'm on, I'm on my Todd. Um, but uh, we, uh, Usher and myself, we had a sabbatical last year. And from around about August through to the end of October, we took some time out. We've been at Woodford now for 16 years, and we felt it would just be good as we go into kind of the next 10 years of our ministry and our lives together. We wanted to just kind of recharge the batteries refresh re kind of calibrate where we were and where we're going and uh, we just had an amazing time away we did some traveling uh, did a lot of reading a lot of praying a lot of walking the beach and talking which was wonderful um, it's amazing how close you feel to the holy spirit when you're walking on a beach on a sunday morning in australia it's just absolutely <laughs> lovely um, and uh, what the thing that God spoke to us about and the thing that we, that we got really fired up about and what we've brought back to the Bridge Church in Woodford um, is, is really nothing new. We've not brought any new teaching, any new ideas back, but we've been since then and for, for, for the rest of our time there, we're just reframing our whole church around this, this idea of discipleship and what it really, really means. I think we have cheapened it. I think we've We've belittled it. I think it's been something that we've made part of church when really church is part of discipleship. And, uh, and, and we, we are endeavoring with all of our heart and with everything that God gives us to become a church that is producing disciples who produce disciples. And that's our heart and that's our goal. And, and, and the seminal verse for me. Uh, the thing that God really laid on my heart, which is Romans 8.29, that says, we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's it, guys. That's the deal. Uh, well, you know, you haven't been saved for heaven. Heaven's going to be a glorious, wonderful byproduct. And, and, and I'm so looking forward to, to being in heaven. But, you know, we haven't been saved for heaven. It's not just about getting a ticket, getting fire insurance from hell, but actually when God saves us and God brings us to himself, it's that we might model him. It's that we might be transformed into his likeness. And being transformed into his likeness, we might draw others into that as well. And so that's, that's an incredibly powerful thing. And, and as the church, it's so weird because conferences, just people that I've been bumping into, friends, Everyone that I'm talking to just seems to be being challenged about this. And I think that we're on the cusp of a new wave. I think we're on the cusp of a new era where God is going to raise up his church. Not just the superstars, not just the mega churches, and I'm all for a mega church here and there. I'll swing with the chandeliers with the best of them. But hey, you know, God's going to reach our nation through guys like you and me, ordinary people. Who are just ready, willing to become like Jesus and draw people into that into that place? And so, yeah, I would really encourage you to do that. It's got nothing to do with what I'm going to say uh, this morning, um, but uh, yeah, I just I'm, I'm, I am so fired up on that stuff at the moment. We've been we've been preaching into that now for the last six nine months, and I've said to our church that every no matter what our series is, no matter what our series titles are, everything is going to be connected back to are we becoming more like Jesus and are we making people like Jesus that's the goal um, but you know I one thing what I was praying about this I was talking with um, Stuart a few days ago and, and I was just telling him that you know I've been praying about what to bring you know when visiting speakers come we do pray about what we're bringing you know we don't just flick through and, uh, and sort of see if we can find a good sermon here and there. I certainly don't because I haven't got any good ones. So, you know, I don't even bother to do that. In fact, I had to check. I checked on your website this week to see what it was that I spoke about when I was here January of last year. Um, because, yeah, I've only got one or two good ones. So I just wanted to make sure I didn't repeat that. And... Um, Uh, But but I I, I said to to, to Stuart as we were just praying and I just felt I had this word on my heart and it's up on the screen and it's about digging deep. It's about digging deeper. The question I want to ask you this morning is how deep are you prepared to dig to move into a new level of experience of all that God has for you? You know as well as I do, particularly if you're a Christian this morning, um, if, you're, if you're a guest here, if you're a visitor here, if, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then we pray that your experience here of church will, will just open you up to the possibility uh, of the truth that God loves you and cares for you. But for many of you, I guess, you have been a Christian maybe for uh, a month, maybe for 30 years. But what you will find out, if you haven't found out already, is that the journey of faith is filled with all kinds of challenges. Spiritual challenges, practical challenges, emotional challenges, relational challenges, financial challenges. But the reality is this, God is always with us. In and through every twist and turn, in and through every up and down, He has promised never to to leave us or to forsake us. And it's true to say that without God we can do nothing. But it's equally true to say, praise God, we are not without him. He is with us and has promised to be with us. But there are times in our journey where we have to dig deep. There are times in our journey when it just doesn't come naturally and it just doesn't come easily. And, you know, we're we're trying to pray and it seems as if the ceiling's about an inch above our heads. And we're trying to reach out to God and it just feels as if, you know, He's he's somewhere out in in outer space and He's not listening to us. And everything that we we try to achieve seems to come to nothing. And we just feel dry. We feel empty inside. And there are times in our journey where we have to learn to dig deep and to find something at a deeper level. Now, in my previous life, and I'm not into reincarnation. But before I became a Christian, or before I became a minister, I should say, uh, I was, for all 20 years, a building control surveyor. So I used to work for the local authority, uh, Royal Borough of Richmond, actually. And uh, uh, so see, oh, there's some real blood in me as well. And... Um, and uh, and so what I was used to is going around, I used to go around and inspect foundations. And so I, I know the value of depth. I know the value of what it is to, to, to dig deep. And I would go around and speak to a few rough builders on a building site and, and tell them that they had to go two meters deep when they'd only dug something about a foot and a half. And how I didn't end up in those foundations on a number of occasions, I really don't know. But I, I understand the value of Depth and if you want to build a building high, you have to dig your foundations deep. This is simple stuff, I'm a simple guy. Um, but but we we are aware that there are those times when we need to dig deeper. And I want to turn you to an account in two kings, chapter three, and uh, it's the account of uh, uh King Jehoram, who was the king of Israel at that time, he was the son of Ahab. Some of you may recall the name Ahab. Ahab was a very wicked king. He did all kinds of stuff wrong. Uh, he, he worshipped other gods. He allowed pagan worship to go on. All, all kinds of horrible, rubbishy stuff that he did. And then the Bible says that he died and his son Jehoram came to the throne of Israel. And it, and, and it says that Jehoram was was better than Ahab, but was like not not perfect. He, he was still an evil person, although he was better than his father. I, if you read through the, the accounts of the kings of Israel, it's kind of quite amazing. You get good king, bad king, good king, bad king, you know, kind of slightly better king, slightly worse king. You know, they all, they all had their own agendas at the end of the day. But along comes Ahab. And, and so Ahab assumes kingship of Israel, And at that time, they had under their subjection the nation of Moab. And Moab smelt an opportunity. The king of Moab at that time smelt an opportunity. Here's a chance for us to rebel against Israel and to break out of the shackles of being under them and being subjugated to them. And so they rebel. And this kind of throws Ahab into a bit of a whirl. And he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to respond. He panics. But he has a couple of allies, and he speaks to the king of Aram, and he speaks to Jehoshaphat, who at that time was the king of Judah. And he says, "Hey, Moab has risen up against us. We need to go out and we need to fight this nation, and we need to defend ourselves." And so they form an alliance. There's the, uh, the king of Edom sorry not, uh, uh, sorry, the king of Edom, uh, Jehoshaphat and Jehoram. They go out as an alliance to attack Moab. And uh, we won't have time to read through the whole passage, but basically they make their way to to defend their their place and to take on the king of Moab. And um, it says in verse 7 of 2 Kings chapter 3, that after a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water left for themselves or for the animals that were with them. Oh, that's an interesting phrase. They went on a roundabout route. Now I don't know if you have you ever got stuck on a roundabout. Uh, we my my wife is wonderful in so many areas, but she's not the greatest navigator. And uh, sometimes she loves to hold the, the phone, the sat-nav, and she loves to tell me where to go. And I just think it's something she just wants to always stay in control. I've learned that now. And, um, and sometimes we've got to a, a large roundabout. And, and, you know, when the internet is a little bit slow and, and, and the reception's not so good and the, and the sat-nav is a little bit slow in catching up, and we've got onto a big roundabout, and I'm going, darling, which one do we come off? Which one do we come off? And she said, oh, "I don't know. It's not caught up with me." So you go round the roundabout once. Is it there yet? No, 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 no. Go round the roundabout again. And and we've we've gone round the roundabout three or four times. Sometimes waiting for this thing to catch up, um, so that we can actually find our way there. It's not great to be in that place. Now I don't know whether or not it was just a badly planned route. I don't know whether or not that they just didn't take enough supplies with them. But the Bible says that after going on this roundabout route and meandering around for seven days, they got themselves lost and they ran out of provisions and they ran out, more importantly, of water. You see, the journey of life doesn't always end up where you expect or want it to, does it? We can drift into a place of dryness. We can drift into a place where those things that were once so kind of vibrant and alive in us begin to die and begin to become a lot more difficult. And now they were left in a difficult situation. And this journey looked like it was going to end in disaster. They were vulnerable to the enemy. They were sitting ducks for the Moabites to come and just pick them off. And it's really interesting when you compare the response of Jehoram. Uh, He says, oh no, God has now given us into Moab. How many of you know, watch Dad's Army? You remember the old sitcom, Dad's Army? You had Private Fraser. What would he say? We're doomed. We're doomed, Captain Mannerin. We're doomed. And this was like Jehoram. It was like, oh dear, we're doomed. We've had it. This is it. It's all over. God's just brought us into the desert so that we can be picked off by our enemy and we can be defeated. But Jehoshaphat, he says this, why don't we inquire of the Lord? He's the kind of, come on, well, let's pray about this. He's the guy that says, look, yeah, we're in this pickle, but maybe God has got something in this for us. And in every journey and in every battle, when it gets tough, we've always got a choice. You have always got a choice. I've always got a choice. We can either moan, we can either look at our circumstances and say, oh, no, we're destined to fail in this. Or we can say, I'm looking to you, God, would you come and help? Would you come and speak into this situation and help us to find a way forward? See, it's really important to have the right people around you, isn't it? Because if, I, if um, Jehoram didn't have Jehoshaphat with him, then he would have just basically gone down a bad place and, and it would have all been over. But Jehoshaphat says, no, there's a, there's a guy I know about. There's a prophet that I know. There's a man of God that I know about. Why don't we ask him and inquire of him? And, uh, you know, without Jehoshaphat, Jehoram would almost certainly have failed. But But Jehoshaphat knew where to go when the trouble came. Jehoshaphat knew where to go when it got hot in the kitchen. And he knew who to go to and he knew who to inquire. And so Jehoshaphat says, look, let's go and ask this guy. Of course, Elisha comes along. Elisha had a bit of history with Ahab. So he had a bit of history with Jehoram. He really didn't like him, didn't respect him, didn't want to have anything to do with him and and wouldn't have helped out if it hadn't have been for Jehoshaphat. And in fact, Elisha says, I don't want to have anything to do with this guy, but because of my relationship with Jehoshaphat, I'll come and I'll speak to you. And he comes. And he inquires of the Lord what they should do in this situation. And this is where we come to what I want to kind of talk about for a a little while this morning. And uh, what Elisha does is he comes, he tells them to dig ditches. So in, in verse 16, Elisha says this, Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of trenches. Make it full of ditches, because the Lord says to you, although you will not see the wind and you will not see the rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, so that you will drink both you and your cattle and your beasts. So Elisha comes into this situation and he speaks this word to him. He said, this is what the Lord is saying. You're in a, tr- you're in a troubled situation. You know, you're, you're up the creek without a paddle. You know, you're, you're, you're going down the pans. This is not going well for you, but this is what the Lord says for you. Go and dig ditches. And I want to bring four things out of this, these next few verses that will hopefully uh, challenge you, uh, inspire you, and encourage you to dig deeper into the things of God so that we can move forward and become everything that He wants us to become. And the first thing I want to say is this. He does not produce water miraculously he does not produce water miraculously actually there's a a slide it's probably the third slide if you want to just move through them for me Um, okay so they consult Elisha and he tells them to dig ditches and point number one is this that he did not produce water miraculously for them this is not what they wanted to hear they wanted kind of the instant miracle they were hoping that Elisha was going to come and maybe say, okay, everybody, hold up your water bottles. And then they look into their water bottles and suddenly everything was full. And suddenly, oh, I'm doing it, aren't I? Sorry, I've just realized that's, that's what I've got that for, isn't it? How do I do it? What do I click? Ah, oh, there we go. I've never done this. We don't, we don't have these, these gizmos in Woodford because we're not a royal borough. Okay. You know, that's not what they wanted to hear, is it? They just wanted, you know, God, you did it for Moses. He just struck the rock and the water came flowing out of the rock. Why can't you do that for us? But God works differently according to his plans. There are no formulas with God. What worked before wasn't going to work in the same way. You know, there's no quick fixes. Sometimes we come to God and say, God, I just, you know, I'm, I'm in a pickle now. I'm in trouble. You know, will you just get me out of it? And God comes to us and says, yes, but there's something that you need to do. What did that mean for these people? Well, it meant that they had to wait until the trenches were dug before they could receive the water. It's a four-letter word, isn't it, for Christians? wait. Wait. We hate that word, don't we? It's like, come on, God, bring it on now, bring it on now. But God doesn't work according to formulas, but he does work according to principles. And when we come before him, we say, God, whatever you call me to do, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. There's another four-letter word as well for Christians, W-O-R-K. Not only did they have to wait until the morning for the trenches, they had to dig the jolly trenches themselves. This was going to be hard work. You see, the battle was won in the digging, not in the fighting. In that secret place, during the night, in the overnight place. And I will say to you this morning, the miracle doesn't come without hard work and commitment and patience and and an adherence to the process that God calls us to go through. Let me ask you this, what does faith look like? in in Luke chapter 5 uh, again if you if you know some of the stories of Jesus you'll know this story really well it's the story of a paralytic man a man who was paralyzed from the neck downwards and every every day he used to go out on his mat and he used to beg and people would come and throw a few pennies into his into his bowl and that was how he would survive but the one thing that he did have was four mates he had four friends and one day they heard that Jesus was preaching in a a house nearby and they came and they picked up their friend on the mat and they took him to Jesus. They couldn't get in because the place was so full, it was rammed. So they climbed up onto the roof and they began to break through the roof. Imagine Jesus, he's in this room and he's preaching away and suddenly a little bit of plaster falls on his head and then, you know, something else, a bit of straw or a bit of tile, whatever it is that they used to construct their roofs from, began to fall in and then as he looks up, suddenly there's a hole that appears in the ceiling above Jesus. And then they lower this man down in front of Jesus. And there's a really interesting little phrase in verse 20 of Luke chapter 5. And it says this, When Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith. What did Jesus see? He saw sweaty faces. He saw dirty hands. He saw perspiration. He saw determination. He saw hard work. Maybe, they, you know, they, they'd been breaking up the, the ceiling, they'd cut their fingers. You know, he saw the signs of hard work. And Jesus interpreted that hard work as faith. We don't read that they, they said anything amazing as they opened up the ceiling. It just simply says Jesus looked up and he saw their faith. And some of you have been striving, some of you have been struggling, some of you have been contending, some of you have been fighting, some of you have been holding on to the promises of God, and and you know, there are times when it gets really hard, and you know, you've got to work with all the other stuff that's going on in life as well. And as God is looking at you this morning, He's saying, I see your faith. I see your faith in your determination to prayer, to pray. I see your faith in your determination to read your word. I see your faith in your determination to be what I've called you to be, even though your circumstances are so difficult. God interprets our hard work and our commitment as faith. And so Elisha says to these guys, guys, you've got to go and dig these ditches. And they're going, oh, can't you just make it easy for us? No, you've got to go out there. And it's a flaw in our thinking as Christians that we can just sit back and let God do it all. We have to commit to the process of life change. I believe the goal of the gospel, as I've already said, is life change. It's life transformation. That's what the gospel is all about. And we have to commit to that process. So the first thing is, he doesn't produce water for them. He tells them, you've got to work and you've got to wait. The second thing is, Elisha tells them to do something outside of their comfort zone. You see, you go to war with soldiers, you don't go to war with farmers. These guys were soldiers, they were not farmers and they were now being told to dig ditches. You can imagine the indignation. Well, hang on a second. You know, I trained in the military school for five years. I'm here to, I'm here to kind of take out the enemy. You know, I am, I am Israel's version of Rambo. Just let me at them. I want to destroy the enemy. I want to rip them limb from limb. And you're asking me to dig a ditch in a desert? Sometimes God calls us to go outside of our comfort zones. Think about Naaman. There's a story in the Bible where Naaman, he was a man of high rank. He was a man of high importance, high prominence, high influence. But he had a problem. He had leprosy. And uh, after a whole kind of number of different things and encounters, he eventually meets up with the prophet and the prophet says, you need to go down to the river and you need to bathe yourself in the river. This was a horrible, stinky river. This is where they used to, you know, bring their cattle down. Their cattle would stand in it and do whatever cattle do, you know, during the day. Uh, You know, people would come and wash in it. There'd be all kinds of stuff floating down the river. And the prophet says to Naaman, you need to go and you need to dip yourself in the river. Hold on a second, I'm a prominent man. I can't lower myself to do that. Sometimes God calls us to lower ourselves so that he can elevate us and exalt us to that place. Not only were they soldiers, but they weren't equipped to dig. They had, well, I was going to say rifles. They didn't want to add rifles. They had spears and shields, no nukes. They didn't have shovels and spades and garden forks. So they had to adapt what they had for their circumstances. You know, sometimes we have to adapt what we have got. In, in, in chapter 4, just the next chapter, we read this wonderful account of, of this widow and, and how the prophet comes to the widow and the widow has run out. She's about to die. Everything's about to go down. She's got a son and it's like, it's all over for me. And the prophet says to her, listen, what you need to do is to go round to all your neighbours and you need to get every conceivable size and shape of pot that you can and whatever you bring back, I will fill with oil. And so, you know, she goes out and she speaks to her neighbours and her family and all the people in her town and in her community and she gathers as many pots and containers as she possibly can. And and probably many of them were not intended to be used for oil, but she just got as much as she could. It's interesting, isn't it? But our resources are in our relationships. Your resources are in your relationships because as many relationships she had, that was as many pots and pans that she was able to muster together. And of course, the Bible says that once once she'd run out of pots and pans, the oil stopped flowing. But she had to adapt what she had. She had to go and make use of every single container that she could have. And for us, you know, we have to adapt what we've got. Some of it, but I'm not skilled enough to do that. I'm not. I'm not able to do that. I've never tried that. And God's saying, "Well, you have to try something new. Because if you want to see something you've never seen before, you have to do something you've never done before." We know that principle. And, uh, you know, I, I, I said this to our church a little while ago. Comfort zones are no grow areas. Comfort zones are no grow areas. You never grow in a comfort zone. We all love our comforts. I love my comfort. You know, there are, there are those moments I just want to sit down. I don't want to do anything else. I just want to sit, put my feet up and, and, and put the football on the TV or whatever. And, and, and we like that. We don't like to be stretched. But it's God's intention always to be stretching us. And sometimes that means we have to come outside of our comfort zones. And too many of us, we put up demarcation lines in our thinking. Well, I won't do this. Or I can't give that up. Or I won't work with that person or I won't work with those people, or I won't get involved in that because that's just outside of, of you know, my comfort zone. And God's calling us to come outside of our comfort zones because comfort zones are no grow areas. We mustn't get too high and mighty over our personal preferences. You see, soldiering was not the primary gift they needed at that moment. Digging was the primary uh, gift that they needed. And they had to lay down their soldiering in order to dig so that God could come and God could feel them. And God will always confront our entrenched thinking. And He just wants us to be available, submissive, and willing to all that He has. When you read through the account of Nehemiah, Nehemiah. Uh, was, the, was the, the guy that was responsible for rebuilding the temple. And, and he hears, he hears he's, in, he's in exile in Babylon and he hears about what's going on back in his home city of Jerusalem. And and something moves him inside and he's broken inside and he goes to the king and the king allows him to go back and start the process of rebuilding the gates and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Does it in 52 days, by the way, which is absolutely amazing. But the way that he does it in 52 days is this. He gets all kinds kinds of people to get involved. And when you read the account of the people that rebuilt the walls, you'll find there are perfume makers, there are goldsmiths, there are people of all kinds of different uh, uh, professions. The the leaders of, of the nation at that time, they were all involved in building gates, they were all involved in laying bricks, they all had to get their hands dirty, they all had to muck in. The perfume makers couldn't say, but we just make perfume, don't you know? The goldsmiths couldn't just say, well, we're just here to make jewelry. We don't don't lay bricks. It's like, no, guys, this is all hands on deck. You've got to step out of what you're used to in order to see God do something fresh and something new. The third thing, this is fun. Elisha doesn't tell them how many or how deep to dig. This is fascinating. He just simply says, hey, he look, you know, Elisha comes to the, to, the, to the alliance and he says, just fill this valley with ditches. I'll leave it up to you as to how many you want to do. There was no minimum and there was no maximum. It was left up to their own desire and to their own passion. If they could dig one big trench, then they would get one trench's worth of blessing. If they dug a hundred trenches, they would get a hundred trenches worth of blessing. If they dug a thousand trenches, they would get a thousand trenches worth of blessing. and That's not easy to say on a Sunday morning. In 2 Kings chapter 13, just a few chapters on, we read about another king, a King Johash. And king, uh, king Johash comes uh, to Elisha when Elisha is on his deathbed. And and he asked for his blessing and Elisha comes to him and he says, what I want you to do in order to secure the future of your nation, I want you to take some arrows, I want you to thump them on the ground and I want you to fire them out towards the east. East is a very significant place because east is where the next day comes from, isn't it? East is all about the future. So he says, if you fire your arrows into the east, he said, you will secure the future for your nation. And so Jehoash is is there and he takes the arrows and the Bible says that he thumps the ground three times and then fires his arrow. And Elisha is really annoyed at him. He says, you know, if you'd have thumped it many, many more times then you could have secured the future. As it is now, it will only be a partial blessing for you. God wants wholehearted devotion. If you're going to dig, then dig. Dig as many as you can. Dig as wide as you can. Dig as many trenches in as many different places in your life as you can because God is not intimidated by empty trenches. God can fill everything that you give Him. And if you will dig those trenches with a wholehearted devotion, Attitude and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm digging a fresh trench in my area of prayer. I'm digging a fresh trench in my area of, of reading your word or of devotion or of word. I'm going to dig fresh trenches in my workplace so that I can be a witness for you. All of those different areas, we've all got millions of different areas in our lives. But if we just say, Well, I'm just going to dig trenches in a very confined way, God will fill them, but we won't get the fullness of everything that God has for us. And I've been guilty of it myself and I certainly see it in church and I see it in Christians. We have so often a minimalist attitude to our faith. We hold back from giving God our very best. How passionate are you for God? Because without passion we can do nothing. You know, there's some really weird passions out there. I, I did an internet search on this a while back, actually. There, there's, have you ever heard of extreme ironing? There is, a, there is a, a sport called extreme ironing where people will jump out of planes with an ironing board and an iron, ladies. <laughs> and, and, and gents and whatever. Yeah, sorry. And, um, you know, they're they, they ironing as they're coming out. There are people that collect belly fluff. Right? Belly fluff. They go around, wherever they go, they look for and they collect belly fluff. I mean, what kind of a pastime is that? What kind of a hobby is that? But people have a passion for it. We used to live in a train rail when we used to live in West London. And, you know, you'd stand on the the station and you'd look out and there'd be people in there... Please forgive me if you're a train spotter, I'm not trying to be offensive to you. But you know, they're standing there in all kinds of weathers with their anoraks on and a little book, and they're marking off the numbers as the trains go past. And I'm thinking, what in the world would make you want to do that? But they have a passion for something. And we have something that we can be so passionate about, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of his great and incredible plan of redemption and restoration for the world that he's called us and privileged us to be a part of. Let's get passionate about it. And so when he says, dig, we say, how deep, God? I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going because I know that you're not intimidated. God's not intimidated by your need. The more we come to him and say, actually, God, I'm really stepping out of a comfort zone here. And if you don't work for me, then things are going to go belly up. And I'm really going to look an idiot here. I'm going to end up with egg on my face. And God says, don't worry about it. Just step out. I'm with you. I'll fill whatever you give me. You know the story. Some of you will know the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. And he says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, well, you know, okay, tell me about yourself. And he says, well, I've kept all the laws and I've kept all the commandments. But Jesus perceives that this guy has a bit of a problem with his possessions and with his money. And he says, well, what I want you to do is to go away and give all of that away and then come and follow me. And of course, we read that the man turns and you can imagine his head dropping as he just walks away. Now, we don't know whether or not he repented of that. Maybe he came back. I don't know. But it was almost like, yes, I've come this far. I've complied with all of those things. Oh, but hold on a second. That's mine. Now you're touching something that's a lot more precious. Now you're, you're, you're touching something that I'm not really sure that I want to give to you, God. Let's be wholehearted in our devotion to God. Let's raise the bar and start living for a higher goal. You know, our expectations determine our limitations don't they our expectations determine our limitations you get what you expect most of the time and we expect God to be like this you know we sing songs about magnifying God why have we got to magnify God God's not small he's not somebody that we can't detect he's not something that we kind of got to search for God is enormous God is in everything God is everywhere He's, he's, the, he's the creator and the author of everything that we see and experience in life. Why have we got to magnify God? But sometimes our expectations, oh God, you know, and, and, and we get all tied up in these things. And God's saying, hey, come on, expand your horizons. Begin to look bigger. Start to dig in places that you'd never dug before. Genesis chapter 26, we we read the story of... of um, uh, Isaac, and, and Isaac goes into, into the, 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 the land of the, uh, the Philistines, and, 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 and the Bible says that God begins to bless him, and he, he digs wells, and as he digs wells, God blesses those wells. Um, unfortunately, he doesn't bless the wells of all the other Philistines around him, and they get a little bit jealous. And so the Bible says that the Philistines that were around him, they see what's happening. And, he, you know, he's living in a fertile land. There's water. Everything's going well for Isaac. So they come one night and they fill the wells with rocks and stones. And they, they fill it all up and they destroy the well. And the Bible says that, it, that, that Isaac goes to God and begins to complain and says, Oh, God, this is awful. This is terrible. This is horrible. I did this. And now look what these people have come to do. No, he doesn't do that, does he? Do you know what he does? He digs another well. And the Bible says when he digs that well, God blesses him again. And they come and they fill that well in. Do you know what he does? He digs another well. Because the blessing wasn't in the wells, the blessing was in Isaac. And wherever Isaac goes, wherever Isaac does, because God says, I will bless the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, etc. The blessing of God was on him. So wherever he dug, God would bless him. Because the blessing was in him, not in the wells. And eventually it says, and then God moved him into a large place and there he was at peace. Guys, if you've experienced your wells being dug up, let me give you some really simple encouragement this morning. Dig another one. Dig another one. Don't start complaining. Don't start coming to the pastor and saying, oh, well, you know, I tried to do this, but nobody's with me in this and what have you. Dig another well. If you've tried to share your faith with somebody in your office or in your college or in your school place and it hasn't worked, you say, oh, I'll give up on that. I'm just not in the evangelistic type. Dig another well. Ask God to help you. Go and dig another well. Build another relationship with somebody else. Make friends so that they can begin to see the life of Christ in you. Let's start to dig some wells. Go beyond your current limits and step out and do something that only God can meet last thing Elisha didn't promise any encouragement verse 17 he says this he says you know what you're not going to see the rain you're not going to see the wind you're not going to see any signs of it I just want you to believe I want you to trust my word and sometimes we don't see the signs and I have another very simple very simple encouragement for you if you don't see any signs just keep digging just keep digging If Usha was here with you, my wife, I could get her up to tell you the story about her mum. Her mum, Usha, was born in Uganda. She was born as a Hindu. She came to faith as a young teenager, um, but her mum didn't. Obviously, her mum was was still part of the Hindu faith for many, many years. And Usha decided that she was going to pray for her mum to become a Christian. And she prayed for 20 years that her mum would become a Christian. Year after year after year. Okay, in and out, sometimes a bit more intense than others. But basically for 20 years, she just continued to uh, pray for her mum. And after 20 years, she had the opportunity to lead her mum to Jesus. It was a wonderful occasion when her mum came to the Lord. All of a sudden, everything changed. And and suddenly she started praying to Jesus. and, and, And God started to do amazing things in her life. But for 20 years, she didn't see any encouragement. For 20 years, she didn't see any change in her mum. And then one day, the opportunity came. And it was the right moment. It was a revelation moment. You know, revelation is truth in its time. And that moment came. And, and her mum became a Christian. And, and, and a few years ago, she passed away. But she passed away joyfully in the presence of God you know this was an act of faith for these people dig the trenches but what happens if in the morning we wake up and and the trenches are not filled don't worry about that well I want to hear the sound of rain overnight you know I want to hear the rain on the roof because then I know that the water is coming and and Elijah says no you're not going to get any of that just trust the word of the Lord because digging is a human activity but filling the trenches with water is God's activity And we do the possible, and God does the impossible. You know that. And sometimes we do just have to hang on, and sometimes we do just have to hold on. We have to obey His Word, and as we obey His Word and we hear His voice, so God begins to reveal His will to us. and We begin to see things change. Don't give up because you can't see signs of water. You know, Isaiah 43 says, Hey, there's a new day coming. There's a new thing coming. You can't perceive it. You know, when you go and plant seeds in your garden, if you're a gardener here... You don't go out after a few days and dig up the ground to see, but I can't see anything growing. Let's see if that seed is actually germ. We don't do that, do we? We trust that even while it's in the ground, it's growing and something's happening. And then one day, the, the green shoot pops out of the, of the, of the, of the ground and we go, ah, oh, yes. It's growing. It's alive. But it's been alive ever since you planted it. Your prayers have been alive ever since you planted them. The promises of God that He spoke over you have been alive ever since He spoke them to you. They just might be under the ground at the moment. So keep trusting. Keep believing that God's Word will come true. Because His Word never returns to Him void. Never returns to Him without accomplishing that which He sent it out to do. So keep believing even when nothing is happening. In Joshua chapter 3, verse 15, we read the account of where Joshua is taking the nation of Israel across. Remember, if you, if you know anything of the story, they'd had a go at this 40 years beforehand. They were 11 miles from the promised land and they blew it because the, the spies went in and a load of them came back and said, oh, it's full of giants. Let's not go in there. And, and you've got Caleb and Joshua and they're saying, yeah, but this is the land that God's given us. But they listened to the voice of the majority. So they go round the roundabout again for another 40 years. And here they are ready now again to go into the promised land. The river is in flood. They're on the the east side of the river. They're going to go over to the west side of the river. The river's in flood, possibly a mile wide at that time, a raging torrent. And God says, I'm going to take you through that river. And he says, the moment that the priests put their foot into the water, I'm going to stop the water and I'm going to make a way for you through the river. That's the promise. So God says to Joshua, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow I'm going to do great things amongst you. So they all wake up in the morning full of expectation, hoping again that maybe there's a bridge been built overnight or something's happened to the river. But they come and the river's still raging past like a raging torrent. And the Bible says that the moment that the first priest puts his foot into the river, the river begins to stop flowing. Amazing, huh? But there's a problem Because it stops flowing 20 miles upstream in a little town called Adam. Now, I don't know how fast a river flows. Let's say that it flows at four or five miles an hour. I don't don't know what kind of pace it would. But but there would be a period of time, possibly hours, possibly half a day, before the, the water that stops upstream in Adam reaches where they are. You see, the promise of God came exactly when he said, but it didn't come exactly where they were expecting. And you know, when we come to God and God promises things into our lives and then we start working out exactly what God's going to do. Well, he's going to do it like this. That's going to change. He's going to sort that person out. He's going to do that. And and actually, we don't realize God's really going to be sorting us out. He's going to be dealing with the rubbish that's in our life. He's got to sort some things out in us. Hold on a second, God. No, that's not how I had it worked out. And he's going, I know. My plans are not your plans, my ways are not your ways. but I want to say to you this morning if you've put your, if you've put your foot into the river, if you 've taken a step of faith in the things of God in your life personally as as a church as the church is moving forward and taking steps of, of of faith forward, you know it may not be that things change instantly. it wasn't like when Moses crossed the Red Sea and all of a sudden the you know the waves just kind of stacked up on either side and he was able to walk through on 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 no 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 the river still ran past and maybe for hours and hours it's still going past and there the priests were stood there in the mud looking back going we're the stupid idiots that had to take the lead here you know we're stuck in the mud all these other people are on dry land you know my leather sandals are getting wet now i'm freezing cold standing in this in this water but they stood there they stood their ground because the because god had said keep the ark in sight So there they are waiting for this thing to happen and eventually the water that stopped upstream comes past. Let me tell you, your miracle is on its way even if you can't see it right now. Your miracle is on its way. If God has said it, God will do it. We know that to be true. And even though the miracle took place when the feet went in, it didn't take place where. And what we see as a delay is just God working out His perfect timing in our lives. You know this, don't you? God is never late. God is always on time. His timing is perfect. So I want to encourage you this morning. First of all, God made calling you to to work, to wait. You know, God's coming to you. You're expecting God to do it in a certain way. You're expecting God to do the instant miracle. Come on, God. Instant coffee we have, don't we now? We have instant everything. Instant eggs, you can buy it, go to the supermarket, everything's instant. God doesn't work instantly most of the time. Of course, there are times when he does, and that's part of his providence and part of his his plan and his purpose for our lives. But most of the time we have to go, okay, God, I'm going to cooperate with you. I'll dig the ditches, you fill. I'll do the praying, you bring the miracle. I'll do the reading, you bring the revelation. We have to cooperate with God in these things. And then the promise of God says he'll come and fill you. Some of you have got to go outside of your comfort zones. I couldn't do that. I could never step out. I could never be like that. God's saying, hey, you need to take a step. Because comfort zones are no grow areas for us as Christians. What about your passion level? Are you going to stop at one trench? Well, I do enough for the church. I do enough. I, I, I spend my one minute reading my Bible and praying every morning. Great, that's a great start. Why not make it two next week? Why not make it five the week after? Why not make it 10 the week after? Why not make it 20 six months down the road and an hour, whatever. But start to expand outside of what you have currently experienced. Be passionate, give God everything. And if you're holding on for something, then my encouragement for you today is the miracle is coming. The water is on its way. It's flowing towards you. And of course, in the morning, they woke up. They woke up and the water had filled the trenches. They were able to survive. They were able to um, feed their animals. And then God used the water, actually, to bring victory over their enemies. Actually, if you read through the rest of that passage, you'll find that the enemy awoke. They came to them. The, the sun shone on the water. It blinded them. There was a big battle. You know, Israel won. Hooray! They defeated... Moab, and they had great victory. They'd only ask God for water, but God gave them so much more than what they asked for. He gave them victory. He gave them victory. So I'm asking you this morning, you're going to pick up your shovel, you're going to start digging where you haven't dug before, you're going to start to stir up a sense of I'm not satisfied with going round the roundabout, I'm not satisfied with just being stuck in the mud, I'm not satisfied with just kind of having a limited expectation of what God can do. Now, you know, we celebrated a, a couple of months ago, didn't we, the, the life of an incredible man called Billy, Billy Graham. What an awesome man. He, he, he went around the world. He preached to millions, hundreds of millions over his lifetime. He preached to God's not calling us to be a Billy Graham. He's not calling you to be a Billy Graham. Or Maybe he is. Maybe he's not calling you to something like that, but what he is calling you is to be you and you're the best you that you are. So be the best you that God has made you. But be a you that says, I'm not, I'm not happy being stuck, being lost in this. God, would you help me to dig? I take up my shovel. I dig into my devotional life. I'm going to dig deeper. I'm going to dig into my mission life. I'm going to dig into my finances. I'm going to dig into my marriage. I'm going to dig into my family. I'm going to start to dig and to begin to believe that you're going to just bring floods of water and fill this valley full. Shall we just stand together, please? Thank you, Lord.